Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Blair Technique Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Stenberg. I got Dr. Joe Ivey with me today. Uh, Dr. Ivey, he's uh, interesting in that he's he's kind of got his hand in a few different things in chiropractic, which I always find fascinating. Uh, he's been the uh, director of alumni relations and works in the Career Service Center at Life West for the past two years. He graduated from Life West in 2010 and has uh, has private practice, you know, maintains part-time practice and all that stuff. So we're going to talk about how that all works out, his roles and, you know, different ways that he interacts with the chiropractic profession and, you know, let's just start jamming. So doc, give uh, give us a little bit of an intro. Tell us how you got into chiropractic and your, your path towards Blair technique. Uh, Dr. John, thanks for having me first on the show. I'm pretty excited. I've, I've seen much of your episodes. I was like, gosh, maybe one day I'll get invited to, to participate. Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day. Um, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Joe. We can go by first names. Uh, my name is Joe. I am a graduate of Life West, like Dr. John said, uh, from 2010, March 2010. I am a Blair practitioner, obviously. Uh, True Health Centers is a clinic name, and I think it's on the website. Now, shout out Noah, uh, Noah and shout out uh, Mercedes Cook for telling me that my website was not on the uh, Blair website. So. <laughs> for a second there, my fault. I should check my emails. Um, what a bit about me. Yeah, so I, I maintain a private practice. Um, I am a the director of alumni relations and career service center here at Life West, like John said. And my wife and I do a handful of things outside of those two positions um, that we could probably dive into a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Were you uh, was was Life West teaching Blair when you were there? How did you get introduced to the technique? Yeah, that's kind of a long, uh, funny story. So the kind of Blair kind of was hitting the map at that time. So circa like 2008, 2009, the development of the ICA and what is now known as the Upper Cervical Council and the DCCJB, mm-hmm. uh, DC, DCJJ, DCCJB, anyways, I uh, get that mixed up all the time, was kind of just starting to hit the ground. And so the the Dr. Sean Dills, the Dr. Darren Whites, the Dr. Chris Wolfs were like starting to come up with ideas and and execute on those ideas to 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 platforms we now know today. And Blair had, I think there was a survey course at the time where you can study all the upper cervical techniques. Mm. Blair elective came on. I wanted to be the first Blair intern. I was a senior at the time and uh, just, you know, timing didn't have it, right? I was able to do toggle, a little bit of full spine, knee chest in clinic. But um, I think I think Tyler or Michael might have been the first ones to officially, maybe Roche might have been the official like first pink slip with, uh, uh, you know, Blair adjustment on it. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about the timeline there, that's about the time those guys would have been hanging around campus too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely a, definitely a strong upper cervical buzz at that time. And it produced a lot of great high quality upper cervical docs. So they were doing something right. Yeah. I was watching in awe even, even at that time. I mean, the names I just said were, were giants at the time, even now. Yeah. And I think sometimes these things, uh, some of these folks kind of, they play behind the scenes a little bit like Dr. Um, 
uh, Dr. Darren White, for example, I mean, he has been, you know, massively influential in uh, putting, I don't know how many people through the DCCJP, through the Darren White Scholarship, and yep. done a ton of work behind the scenes with the Blair Society and organizational leadership types of things. And, you know, these guys are, are you know, not looking for pats on the back. They're not out there kind of bragging about their accomplishments, but have, have done a lot. Uh, so we we honor and acknowledge their you know, their service, because it's, it's, you know, we enjoy the benefits of it every day, even if not everybody knows, you know, who they are, or how they did it. Well, I think we take a lot of it for granted, for sure, right? At the time, um, I actually was going to work with Darren um, as his associate before I graduated. I got the, I got the offer, and uh, long story short, I had to decline him. I mean, who declines Darren White, right? <laughs> um, but I declined him because we had to start a family here, and it wasn't the right timing for us to, like, move up to Seattle. But there's a lot of them. Uh, in Washington State, California, like SoCal, like uh, Drew Hall, that were paving the way for us, uh, that now we just kind of reap the benefits and take those things for granted. Tom Forrest, my mentor, probably the number one largest influence on me in terms of like practicing. Um, you would very seldom see him in the spotlight. Yeah. Well, those guys do. They they love the work and they love the profession and they kind of do it for the sake of doing it, you know, kind of like that do give love serve type of mentality. Yeah. And uh, so they, they do kind of shy away from that acknowledgement, but I think it's worth, you know, as you go on, you gotta, you gotta keep these people, you know, you gotta keep these people in mind. It's, it's not just DD BJ Blair, right? There's a whole yeah. bunch of other people that fell in line after that, that have helped, you know, tremendously. And I've, I've talked about this on here before, but even with other guests, it's like, man, it's so much easier to get into Blair now than it was when they were, when they were doing it, right? Like they've made, you know, the, the barrier to entry to be a good Blair doctor is so much lower, you know, than it was at a time where you had to fly to Lancaster and sit in Muncie's office to take yep. any seminars. And those guys mm -hmm. did that, you know, time after time after time. So, um, you know, I, I, I think they all deserve, you know, the recognition they're due, even if they don't want it. But let's just, again, acknowledge the fact that those guys are real legends in our world and we appreciate the heck out of them. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so, so you kind of talked about, you had plans, you know, and a lot of students might relate to this. You kind of, you're, you're creeping up towards the end of school and it comes quick, you know, and you're looking at like, oh my God, what are my career options? Where are there jobs available? Do I start a practice? Do I, you know, take an associate position? Like, where do I go and what do I do? Sounds like you had plan A, you know, and you guys were sort of working on that. And then life and family took you in a different direction. So what was your transition like from being a student, getting into practice? Yeah, the, I've got to say, I, I think I, I'd consider myself a fair amount of plan, like I'm a planner. Right. And so early on in, in grad school, um, I got involved with Delta Sigma Chi fraternity. That's where mm -hmm. I met Darren um, and kind of he mentored me through school. Um, he wasn't certainly the only one, but early on, I knew that upper cervical was the gig, probably because I was reading a lot of philosophy and probably because the guys at the time in the fraternity were really gung ho about upper cervical. Yeah. Um, and then Blair uh, through through Tom, through Darren, through Chris. Um, just kind of through association, right? I think I attended one conference. I forget what, what year and when, when, but it was somewhere between 2007, 2010. Um, and I was like, wow, like I fell in love actually first with the personality of the people in, in the society. Hmm. And they were down to earth, not a ton of ego involved. And, and you know, were passionate about the work, right? Generally getting people better, through very specific work. And so I just started following, hanging out a little longer. And then the survey courses came along, the Blair elective came along and that's where I was really starting to hone in. All right. Um, you know, who, where do I want to be? 
where do I want to go? And I was like, well, if we're going to learn from the masters, we got to go there. And Washington state was like the cream of the crop at the time. Yeah. And so, you know, after speaking with Darren, you know, back and forth a little bit, um, I got the opportunity to work with him and my girlfriend at the time. Now my wife, Abby was like, Hey, like, yeah, we can make this work. Well, long story short, we probably had one hell of a senior year uh, because she got pregnant. We got pregnant. Um, and so uh, right around uh, graduation, so I was March 2010, we, you know, we knew she was pregnant. And the long story around that, the long story short around that was uh, we weren't ready to move to Seattle. So we, I graduated March, got married at the end of March officially, um, I think I took jurisprudence in April and then I opened up shop like June, July. Right. Um, fortunately though, I was ready, like between the business classes that were being offered at life West, the time I took to create business plans, like fake business plans, like simulations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt pretty prepared for it. Um, I was going to say, I mean, obviously there was groundwork laid, you know, that wasn't just something you kind of were winging in the midst of all those life changes and transitions so there was a lot of work done ahead of time yeah i mean i do i do run into students right in the career service center i work with it's post-graduation planning right so hey what do i do and admittedly about 50 percent of the population is you know junior senior students that's like i don't know quarters 10 quarter even to quarter 12 on a 14 quarter track that are like hey i have no idea what i'm trying to do like i haven't done any of that legwork um i've kind of been slacking in classes because it's my senior year and i'm just focusing on clinic getting out um, and then the other 50% is like, no, I'm ready. Like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. If plan A doesn't work out, plan B is an option. And so while admittedly, I didn't want to take plan B, um, you know, it led me to where I'm at today. And I'm really fortunate to be able to have that, um, have that experience kind of behind me now. Yeah. And that's, that's typically how it goes, right? I mean, talk to so many upper cervical docs. It's like, you know, your, your life and your practice evolve and, we always have ideas about the way things will be, might be, should be, could be. But then, you know, the life life has ways of taking in different directions. People come into your life and, you know, inflection points happen and you go in different directions. Things change things. Um, you learn more information and it changes your chiropractic values or it changes oh, your true. life values. And things like getting married and having a kid changes your your world altogether. So there's these things happen. And I think that the key takeaway is do the work anyway. Right. Do the preparation as if plan a is going to pan out start thinking about plan b and the process of working on that stuff i think is what really prepares you it's it's thinking through scenarios it's it's not it's confronting the uncertainty right and that's that's what you're doing with all that stuff is okay there's a certain level of uncertainty here about what my life looks like after this because towards the end of chiropractic school you're in a rhythm there you're pretty comfortable in in the rhythm of of school and then you start to approach this you know this precipice of like okay you know this whole world that I've, you know, been in and developed and this, this rhythm of life is, is gone, you know, and it's, it's going to look very different. So I think a lot of people think they have more time, you know, than they do. Number one, number two, just don't want to confront the uncertainty. And then, and then there are others that just run full speed into it and, uh, you know, that set themselves up for success. So mm -hmm. wherever you are along that spectrum, that's where guys like Dr. Ivy are on, are there literally on campus to help you have those conversations and to navigate those decisions. And that I hope with the information and the conversations we have through the podcast and just in the Blair society in general, you feel like docs are approachable, you know, and you can and have mentors and have people speak into your life and, and to, to be a sounding board for some of these conversations too. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I get a chance to, in my world at, um, at Life West, I get a chance to meet with like all of our alumni base, right? I have access to our alumni base, to a friends base, people that did not graduate from Life West, but, you know, are supporters of the college. And I've never met a doc, regardless of how busy they are. Say, sorry, I can't see a student right now because I'm too busy. Mm. Right? And, you know, John, I'd probably the same thing you. If I called you up any point in time, said, hey, John, you know, I've got a student here. I've got a couple of students that want to check out, like, what does a Blair office look like from your point of view? You know, what is a, what is a professional podcasting um, situation look like for them? Because they're interested in that. You know, while you might have to find time in your schedule to accommodate it, I don't think you'd say no. No. No, and, and, and the reason for that, <clears throat> well, there's two reasons. Number one, because it's fun, you know, and it builds me up, and I really like interfacing with students and 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 being able to share. And the second part is I've had countless people help me, you know, and I did this interview for a magazine here. And, and one of the you know closing thoughts I said is like, nobody is a self-made success. They're like, there's always people that come and help you. And there are, you know, circumstances that arrange themselves to give you a leg up. I think that, you know, success is a team effort. And I felt very similar to you, which I got involved with the Blair Society. It was like, come on in, you know, welcome with open arms. And, oh, for sure. and just so many people that help me when there was nothing in it for them. They didn't really have to, they didn't really know me, you know, but there was just that, that passion for the work, like you said, and that enthusiasm about people that are interested in the thing that I'm interested in. And so uh, it's, it's fun to pay that forward and be a part of that, you know, life cycle as well. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Especially people that are successful and are they're fulfilled in what they're doing. They want to share it, you know, and they want to see other people experience that too. Yeah. Two years ago, I got brought into life West um, vice president at the time, Dr. Mark Ziegler, who, recently uh, left uh, Life West back to the private sector, um, said, hey, Joe, you know, you've got some autonomy in your life right now. Um, you know, I think you know a thing or two about business. Like, would you consider coming on board, like helping build out the infrastructure of what is now the Alumni Relations Department and the Career Service Center? I said, sure, let's talk that through. What does that mean? Um, and in my first couple of months here, I was really surprised at, while we have offer very good, uh, very good curriculum, being a vitalistic chiropractor, teaching very good business, um, there's still that hurdle, and naturally so, right? Still that hurdle of people trying to find their way, right? And I think you could see, you probably experience that same situation in like high school and undergrad as well. Like sure. there's, there's, it's a, it's a milestone of a time where you're like, what do I do? And when you're finding, when you finally find that niche, John, for us, it was a Blair Society. Like, oh, I get it, right? This provides me a level of fulfillment. Man, these eyes shine a bit brighter. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and being a chiropractic student, there's so much coming at you, you know, and so many people promising you the moon, you know, about life and career and practice and what you should see with patients and, you know, all this stuff. It's, uh, it is, it can be, it can be tricky to find your way, you know, it can be tricky to not get, um, the shiny object syndrome, which is where you bounce around too much, you know, and, and to kind yeah. of distill it down to what your true values are and what your priorities in life are and how do you express those chiropractically and how do you set yourself up to be in a position to, you know, really express those values and to, to know those values and to be self-aware with that stuff. It's, it's not easy. So having people that are, I, you know, I think you, you operate in this interesting space that's very uncommon, which is you've got your foot in the practice world. Right? You're mm -hmm. practicing chiropractor. You've got your foot in the academic world. You've got your foot in other business interests. It's like most professors can't offer that, right? I think back to a lot of the conversations I had with professors on campus. Like, 
I literally had, had, you know, chiropractic professors that never practiced, you know, and that's okay that their path took them back straight back into school after they graduated. But it's like, it's hard to relate, right? It's hard to get, you know, context from those people when they have a very different type of chiropractic setting that they work in. Uh, so I think it's, it's hugely beneficial to have you there that, that you've got, you know, the perspective of both sides of the fence. Uh, and I always encourage students, you know, have your people on campus, find some people off campus, you know, whether it's in technique, whether it's, you know, coaching program or whatever it is, there's definitely value in that outside perspective, sure. you know, and, and fleshing out some of these conversations. And and really what it does is help you. And we, we had this as a talking point for, for later on, but it helps you to, to focus on the right things, right? There's so many things you could be doing and can be doing and should be doing, you know, depending on who you talk to. But the more people you talk to, look for the common principles, right? Like look at the the common denominators and, and really drill down on, you know, the top places to spend your time and energy mm-hmm. and your resources. Um, you come up with those things, you're going to put yourself in a position, you know, to, to figure out the rest. Yeah, the, uh, the, the part that I'm, let me rephrase that. When Mark brought me in a couple of years ago, one of the one of there's two criteria. I'll share one of them with you right now that I when I said yes to the position um, and that was one of them was I need to be able to maintain private practice. Right. I need to be clinically relevant to this kids I'm speaking to. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Right. Like I can't be out of practice, out of sync for 10, 12, 15 years and then be like, sure, like you should do this because I don't I'm not up to date on what the current models look like. Business models. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there you mentioned earlier like shiny object syndrome and apologize if i'm jumping off too much of a tangent but i think students right now really need to keep their eye on the prize right let's mm. graduate from a chiropractic school the chiropractic school that you're in involvement and be the best chiropractor you can be the shiny objects will come right and you can be very successful with a single practice you know, full-time practice, part-time practice, doesn't matter. Uh, whatever you're, you know, really, really boils down to is how much you're taking home. But um, a little more directly, you can be very successful in your own right, having one single practice, being a full-time uh, practicing DC, seeing patients, direct patient care. You don't have to do everything. And I discourage most people from actually doing more than one thing because more often than not, like, your mind may not be able, your main, your mind might not be in the position to actually multitask the way others do. Yeah. And um, you know, it's a, it's a lack of concerted effort in a, in a singular direction. Yeah. There's definitely a dilution of, um, of effort and intensity, you know, when you're doing different things and that it can, for some people, depending on how you, like you said, depending on how your brain works, like you can, you can make that work. But I think a lot of people that get drawn to upper cervical work are, focused, right? They, they like to have, you know, that analytical side of their, you know, sort of psyche of their brain, you know, like to check that box, you know, with upper cervical work. And so I think that it, it behooves you to, especially doing something that is procedural, you know, that is very sort of technical, you know, in both analysis and application and management and all these things, there's a lot to learn, you know, just doing, just doing Blair technique. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have told students this before, I didn't take a job as an associate after school. I opened practice like you did. And so I was new, new doc, new DC, new to Blair te- technique, didn't have that one-on-one mentorship in office. And so I looked around and the folks that I talked to, was like, okay, it seems like a lot of people, it took them two years as an associate to get pretty good, to get pretty comfortable with Blair technique. Probably going to take me five by myself 
right? <laughs> if we're yeah. just running the numbers, right? So, so I made up my mind at that time. It's like, you know what? Let me just get this first five years just laser focused on Blair technique. This is the thing I have to work the most on. Um, even, even, you know, outside of business, I, I focus more of my attention on technique in the first couple of years and, and getting good at that, like you said, being clinically relevant, not just, you know, not just um, in the profession, but in my marketplace, right? It's like in the community where I have people to serve, they need me to be dialed in, you know, when folks are coming oh, in and, and, and they're in bad shape, they need to be dialed in. So, you know, I, I did that exact thing. And it's really interesting because uh, I think I, I think I learned a little, maybe a little quicker than I, than I thought I would, you know, and I, I could probably have done it in, in less time, but just that mindset of, of I'm excluding all these other shiny objects. Like right now I've got my mind made up to go in this one direction. I really just simplified, you know, how to spend your time, right? Because when you're starting a practice and depending on how busy or slow you are, or the different things you're doing, it's really a battle of time. So how do you focus your time and attention? And I knew that I had a very specific thing, you know, that I was going to spend my time on until I was, you know, proficient. So I think that's, I think that's wise, especially now I, I wasn't really paying attention to social media at that time, but now there's like, there's so many things you could do, right? I mean, I've talked to students that are trying to start drop ship business, you know, they're trying to start a merchandise, you know, like chiropractic swag business. They're trying to run a chiropractic, you know, it, TikTok. It's, it's like, whoa, but how are you going to do any of that? Well, you know, and the, and the people that you look up to in those spaces, you know, they got to that point because they just dove deep, right? And I think that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think, uh, where was that book? Uh, it's Joe Dispenza, I forget the name of the title, but essentially what you're doing is you're, what you're trying to do is go deep into a singular direction, right? Or create habits, if you will, um, to allow your mind to free up to do other things, right? So be an expert, in this case, clinical uh, upper cervical blare technique, right? Be very, very, very um, aware, conscious, and that level of, um, like you said, kind of dialed into your clinical practice. Once you've created that automation in your brain to be able to look at an, an X-ray or CBCT and say, "Great, like I know exactly what I'm looking at at 100 percent," yeah, I can, I can, you know, kind of do this in my sleep. Then you might be able to mentally afford kind of your next uh, venture. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that uh, some folks, you know, and we see so many exceptions, you know, that you'll see people that, you know, maybe juggle a lot of things and do it well. And you go, yeah, I want to do that. They're doing it. I can do it too. Kind of a thing. But you got to know yourself and having mentors is, is really good for self-awareness just to kind of gain the perspective of like, well, you know, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm hearing. And, and here's where I think you should focus your, your time and attention. And, you know, here's where you think you're strong and maybe not as strong as you want to be. Um, so all that stuff, mentorship and coaching and all that kind of stuff factors into that. For sure, if you want to do multiple things at a high level, you're going to have to have people that are, you know, are helping you work that all out. You don't want to wing it for sure. But I think most of us got into this because we want to help people, right? Like the direct patient care, the clinical side of things, especially as a student, like that's what you look forward to. Right? It's like, God, I want to be in my clinic every day, taking care of people, seeing patients, analyzing x-rays, you know, go, going through all this stuff. I mean, doing the chiropractic, right? And that's that's what's so exciting. And, and I think it's the the thing that maybe is a little scary as a student, too, when you're looking at, man, I'm going to be out there just dealing with these people, you know, just doing my thing. Sometimes it feels like having something else, you know, is kind of a safety net to kind of like distract you from, you know, distract you from uh, some of the intensity of it. Oh, taking, sure. care, taking care of sick people is is definitely you know it's definitely heavy you know and it definitely it has days where it's really hard but um 
you know, it's, it's like anything familiarity, time and repetition, you develop more comfort, you develop more confidence, you develop more proficiency. Um, and, and what you develop is the skills of doing a new thing. Right. And if you have other interests, all the personal development that happens in those early years of practice, when you're just focused on, on chiropractic, you can translate a lot of the skills and, and things that you learn to other ventures in the future. If that's, if that's what you want to do. I, I, all of it is actually very relatable. The question is how in your personal circumstance, right? Like, like you mentioned, right. Being technically savvy, having process procedures in your clinic is very much applicable to other business ventures. If that's the route you want to go. I know that's not in the context of this interview, but, um, it is it's very once you I think once you get past like five maybe even ten years into practice then you'll start to realize oh shit like all of this is actually all related right maybe mm. you knew that early on but you you know life circumstances kind of threw you for you know through a maze but it is all very interrelated yeah that's a great way to put it um it, it does feel like a maze sometimes you're kind of wandering aimlessly like looking for the next turn but when you're afforded the time and the space to kind of pull back and see it from a you know from the top view all of a sudden the path is clear, you know, and, and you take fewer turns to get to the same destination, uh, yeah. which is some of the principles and things that you're talking about. So what well, we're kind of hinting at, at least sort of tangentially here, some of the other things that uh, you're interested in or involved in, is there any, anything you want to talk about as far as how your practice is set up? You know, cause you've, you've obviously got family life, you've got yeah. your work on campus, you've got your practice. So people are saying, like, how does that even work? Like, what are the logistics of having a practice when you do these other things? How are you set up? Yeah, yeah. So Monday through Friday, I check in with the school, right? So the it's a kind of Monday through Friday, full-time employee, right? There's no surprise there. Um, I practice clinic. I'm at clinic Tuesdays, Thursdays. Fortunately, the other business ventures that I've got going on are mature enough to have um, a teams around them. Right. So I've got companies set up with multiple teams, managers. I don't have any directors, small business, um, but I've got managers that I can communicate with via Slack or text message. that says like, hey, like this is working out. This is not working out. Uh, and so I'm really fortunate to be able to have that level of autonomy with the other business, business ventures to allow me to focus kind of here. The school for me is a bit of tithing. Um, Palmer, Pete, my predecessor here, I was talking to him. I was like, man, like, why did you go through that? why'd you go through this, right? Working back with the school and he's like, Joe, every chiropractor should do one of a few things. And one of them, I forgot what the full list of thing, three things was. Uh, but one of them that stuck out in my mind was tithing. This idea of like, not volunteerism, but always giving back to the profession. Hmm. Um, and I was like, cool, I've got it. If I can afford myself um, the opportunity and the time and space to do that at school without sacrificing what else I've got going on, my other passions, then so be it. Um, and so that's where it's at. And Mark knew this when I was, was, when I was coming in, it was like, if the autonomy in my personal life suffered, right. If I wasn't able to do the things that I'm passionate about or the passion kind of flickered away, then my time here at Life West would be exhausted. Fortunately, I'm having a great time. And so I, I don't see that coming to a standstill anytime soon, but, um, that's kind of the casual agreement we, we made early on um so that, those two things so that's the that's the school and that's the practice right tuesday thursdays at practice the other venture circle around what makes my world easier outside of having teams or employees to be able to afford me autonomy is that they're all things i'm passionate about things that my wife and i are passionate about right when we opened up a fitness studio my wife was heavily involved with the, the franchise 
that we opened is called the Bar Method. Mm-hmm. And so she she fell in love with the company culture. We fell in love with the parent company. Uh, we have a good relationship with their C-level team. And so we get it and clicks. And so it's not work for us, right? It's stuff that happens behind the scenes. Again, um, I'm trying to think like team meetings, for example, I was once a quarter. Those happen on the weekends. We get together, we have lunch, coffee, that type of thing. We talk about what needs to happen. My team can execute really well. And that's partly because, again, systems and procedures wise, like business running, business development has been... That's what we focused on, John, right? 2015, 2016, when we really start to dive into the fitness studio, that like we got super, super focused on, okay, like what does the walkthrough experience look like, right? How do you check somebody in? How do you check somebody out? Like all of those little things that I didn't practice. I just changed some of the verbiage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it helps with the fitness studio. And then the other companies kind of came along. And so it's scaling actually isn't that difficult to do when you've got the foundation strong scaling gets really difficult. You want to do five, 10, 15, 20 different things. Cool. Right. You want to be a Richard Branson by all means, like do that, but you've got to have a really solid foundation. And so that's really, that's kind of the, you know, the, uh, like the secret sauce, right? How, how does Joe do anything or everything? It's because one thing was settled first, uh, great, created a great foundation off of that. And then the next venture isn't far off from mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, things that are that are, uh, and it makes sense, right? Because those would be closely aligned with your values in life, yeah. right? And those would be things that stimulate the same level of curiosity and interest because they're you know in line with those values and interests. And uh, it yeah, it, may, it would make less much less sense if you went and let's say started a restaurant. I was like, what does that have to do with any of that? Is on my, that is on my list of to dos though. Well, and I, I expect that but you will someday, someday maybe. Yeah, I expect that you will. But it's it's interesting to think about how, you know, chiropractic draws certain types of people. Right. And then upper cervical draws different types of people, you know, and so it's, it's interesting as you see these kind of subcultures, you know, within let's just call it health and wellness, you know, that industry, that space, uh, as those subcultures kind of drill down, you start to get even more and more commonalities, you know, and, and similarities and values. And I think that's it makes the most sense. Right. Like if your next your next venture is going to be closely aligned to your first one, because that's where you found success. That's where you have tools that will, you know, suit you you know, towards success there. And it's sort of the, the quickest leap. But let's talk about that foundation a little bit. Cause I know there will be folks listening that go like, wait a minute, did I miss that part? Like what, what's the foundation? Could you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, well, first foundation for me was chiropractic, right? So when I went to, I, I should note, I probably should have mentioned it earlier. Um, I'm a first, first, what is it called? First generation graduate. I'm the first one of my immediate family to have ever graduated from four-year university and the first one to ever go to grad school, cool. right? And then complete the doctorate. Very cool. cool. Um, so, so that said, like my foundation uh, as a uh, kind of, as a student really was like, I was paving my own path, right? I, I didn't know. I didn't have my parents to say, oh, by the way, I did this. So therefore you yeah. can model this after this. So I had to look up to others, do it. And my parents offered me a, a, a great, a great upbringing that I would never uh, narc on the chiropractic school though. I had to get solid on the, on the philosophy. I joined the delts. So Again, I freed my mind up. I understand what chiropractic is, what it mm. is, right? And the direction I wanted to go. Great. Spot on. Uh, the Delts helped me land that. Um, going into kind of the next bit, just going into clinic, I really had to hone myself into, for me, like I'm pretty simple, man. I know I do a few things, but pretty simple. Like, And Blair technique was the most obvious 
approach to identifying a misalignment and then ultimately a subluxation through radiographs or x-rays, right? Oh, I see the over and under. Mm -hmm. It's there. I'm going to adjust you this way. End of story. Yeah. Right. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room to say, ah, it could be this. It could be that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is no, no fault to any other technique. This is just what I started to realize. Like this makes very clear sense to me. Right. So understanding what chiropractic was identifying a technique, you know, it could have been multiple techniques, could be toggle, could be activator, could be a different process. But the first one that I fell in love with was Blair identifying that foundation. Great. Now I can dive heavily into the Blair work. Um, when I was a senior student, so I was probably starting to see outpatient then in through my first year of, of practice, I was at Tom Forrest's practice every Monday. So if you haven't been to Pleasanton and haven't checked out Forrest Chiropractic, he's got like a home kind of set up. I think it was like a home that was converted into an office. Um, and then in the back shed, Tom has at the time, and I don't know what's in there now, but in the time it was just like, like, uh, what is it? Filing cabinets and drawers and shelves of like x-rays. And so it was kind of like fight club. You don't get invited into the main house to like see <laughs> the operation until like sometime later, you don't know when that sometime later is. So, you know, I asked Tom, I think after the elective or maybe even after the survey course, and I said, Hey, like, you know, can I just kind of learn about this? He's like, sure. Why don't you just go organize all these x-rays? So every Monday, like clockwork, whether I had had something to do or not, I made an effort to go to Tom Forrest, Forrest Chiropractic, Pleasanton, California, and review x-rays. And I think, you know, I got good, right. You know, or that, um, I got good at looking at x-rays. And then eventually he kind of let me in the door, right? Five club status. And Chris, uh, I love her to death. She's like, you know, she is, she is the gatekeeper. And she's like, Chris, uh, Tom's wife was like, all right, Joe, I'll let you come in. And a bonehead of me, like the first couple of weeks that I'm like allowed in the office and get to see the magic happen because I'm supporting him. Right. I'm, I'm pulling a file. I'm giving it to, to Tiger. I'm um, helping develop x-rays. I go into development uh, to, to develop an x-ray and uh like i think the first couple of weeks in and i slam my head on one of the things i, I have a scar here <laughs> and and tiger's like yeah you you should probably go back to the shed for a little bit <laughs> so that was the foundation from a from a clinical perspective i spent time with mentors that just allowed me to understand the technique fully and then you know admittedly like when i when i was in practice i actually opened up shop part of it was experimentation Right. It was okay, cool. Like I learned all this stuff from Tom, from Darren, from Chris, from Drew. Um, cool. Like now I've got a actually applied into my office. So a bit of experiment, experimental, uh, experimental, right? I want to make sure that I could, you know, deliver the goods, right? And first patient, first patient, Brie, can't tell her last name for HIPAA reasons, but Brie was my first patient. Uh, didn't. <laughs> I mean, I was sweating profusely, right? I kept <laughs> films at Life West. I brought them back and I was like, oh, so I did the port of findings. Okay, this is going to be your first adjustment, et cetera, et cetera. Sweating, like I hadn't already done it a thousand times. Yeah. You know, through practice, through drills. Um, and and then, so that foundation, for four or five years, I was solely into full-time practice. That's probably, I might've mentioned that, or I did not mention that in the beginning. I was in full-time practice for four or five years before I started to diverge. And I, I admittedly, I don't think if I had spent any less time um, in it, I don't think I'd be as proficient as I was then. I don't know if that's good, bad, or different, but that's kind of where I'm landing now. Yeah. And you know what, being about it, I'm uh, five years in here. I think, I think you're right. There's just a different, 
there's enough time, you know, and enough reps at this point that you really kind of know what you know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And at different times I thought I did, but I feel like now I'm, I'm getting to be more and more confident with where, where my strengths lie with the technique and the things where, um, you know, I've still got weaknesses or areas to improve, but I think it's, I think it probably, like you said, takes five years for you to kind of really settle in and really kind of get your head on straight with how well you're doing and how locked in you are and, and how your practice functions best, the types of folks you do your best work with. You try different care planning strategies. You try different patient communication strategies. You try different, you know, uh, scheduling strategy, all these different things you kind of iterate and you experiment. And by now you kind of arrive at, you know, what is pretty good setup. And I, I feel the same way. So that's it, a, sounds it, it takes that amount of time. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, it takes that amount of time and there's no, I like to like work smart, right? I don't like to work. I like to work hard, but admittedly I'm a bit lazy. So I like to work smart uh, in terms of like developing my time. And I've got to tell you, like the first four or five years, I was working as smart as I could. I had no yeah. social right? It was me, my wife, and my first son. And then, you know, we had our second son, you know, four years. So in 2012, we had our second son, but I didn't have a social life. Friends would hit me up like, Hey man, like where you been? Like, I haven't seen you. Like I, you just graduated. Like, what's up? You've got your own practice. You're a doctor, but all that kind of like, you know, societal pressure of like, come out and play. Uh, God, dude, I don't know if I took a vacation in the first couple of years, like other than to see like my wife's family and stuff, like there was no fun or yeah. very fun involved. It was, head deep into, okay, I've got to get this business. And it, I didn't offer myself any options either. If I didn't get paid, if I didn't pay myself through the business, um, like my family didn't eat, like, it's just that simple, right? Tony Robbins talks a lot about burning the boats. And so I had no, I had no life support. I had, I didn't have family to rely on or like any, you know, rich friends that were like, here, man, here's a couple bucks to get you started. Like it was on me. And so uh, if, could you do it faster than four or five years? Probably, but you've got to put the reps in. You've got mm-hmm. to put a level of concentrated time in to feel what you know and what you don't know. Yeah. And there's different types of personalities, right? Like some folks do really well being, I don't want to say a follower, but but they want someone to give them a blueprint and just run with it. I'm not that kind of person, right? So like I, I've always struggled with just read this script, just do this thing, just emulate me. Yeah. And you'll have the same success as me. It's it's always I don't I'm, that's not as interesting to me. Right? I want to I want to develop myself. I want to develop the skills. I don't want to just kind of parrot, you know, and mime a situation and and that kind of a thing. And so that's why I was, all that iteration, all that trial and error, you know, you you pick up things from. I've had coaches, I've had mentors, I've had you know different people weigh in. It's like you you piece all that stuff together and you start to secret you know work out your own secret blends of herbs and spices, right? Like KFC. Yeah. It's kind of like. Right. For for me, that was my process. And that was important to me. It was like, I want to learn, I want to develop that. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want to just mimic someone else. It's like, I want to, I want to really get this stuff. You know, I really want to internalize it and be able for it to be natural and fluid and, you know, be an expression of myself, not someone else. Mm-hmm. And so that that's part of, you know, it's part of the time that it takes is like, it takes you six months to figure out if anything you're doing is, you know, you don't, you don't measure results for six months at least. Right. So you start doing something different. It takes time before you even know, like, what's, how's this working out? And so even making changes and getting the data to, to reflect on, you know, how it's working or not takes time. Uh, So you do that a couple of times, you're, you're two years in, right. Mm -hmm. And you're just, uh, you know, just chipping away at, you know, one or two processes or procedures. Yeah. And and the more times you reinvent the wheel, the harder it gets to kind of figure out what's working and what's not. 
And it's kind of like with patient care, you eliminate variables, right? You isolate one thing, you focus on it, you work on it, you get it better, then you move to the next. So it's an interesting process. And I think it's one that it's, it's weird. It's that you may have felt this way too. It's that compression and like expansion of time thing where five years seems like blink of an eye, but it also seemed like an eternity, right? It's like long days, short years kind of a thing. Um, so it's, it's, it can really fly by, but there's a lot of growth and development that happens there. That is, it's, yeah. I don't know that I would have developed that way doing a different job, right? Like if I had been just working as an associate, I mean, it's, it's so hard to play the what if game, but, but for me, thinking back, looking back at the growth I, I've had in that, that amount of time, it was very, uh, accelerated growth, you know, for, for the need. Right. And like you said, when, when you need to, and you have to, you just figure it out. I think everybody's got to define that for themselves, right? John, you and I, again, we opened up practice. Great. Congratulations. Right. We're here now. Um, but not everybody is that way, right? Majority of the students that come through my office and I, so I'm not in the classroom, just really clear. I'm not in the classroom other than I'm asked if I'm asked to speak. And so when people, when I'm saying I'm engaging with students, it's really those that have created consultations with me and said, Hey, like, I need some help figuring out life after life West and the vast majority of them I'm telling, I've got a questionnaire. I interview them, you know, it's probably as close to an interview of a consultation that we have in private practice. And I'm telling the majority of them like, Hey, like go associate. And what I'm not saying off the top is saying your personality, right? Your your approach, your, your style of learning is best suited under someone else's tutelage, hmm. at least the first year, two years, right? There are those go-getters similar to you, John, where it's like, Hey, cool. Like I could, I need trial by fire. It's just me. It's how I operate. Go, go be an independent uh, contractor, go be a sole prop, whatever, you know, whatever you can afford to do after graduation. Um, that, I mean, but that's, I don't know if it's uh, just a time and space thing right now, but certainly the last couple of years, I'd say out of 10 consults that come in through the school, I would say eight of them are probably like, you should probably be an associate first. Hmm. It's not a talk, just a, Hey, like that's who you are time and space right now. Yeah. Well, that's the real value of that type of service. I don't remember. They may have had something like that on campus. When I, I was at life. Dude, I, I didn't, if I wasn't meeting with mentor docs, right? That were like helping pave the way, identifying like some ins and outs of, of my mindset. Um, it didn't. And so it's a newer venture. I'm sure there's, I don't know when it officially started, but it's a newer venture for LifeWest and it, it's coming off really, really well. Um, I guess I know what I'm doing. No, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making half of it up as it go along. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the thing is like, there's this big lie, you know, that everybody else knows better than you. And it's definitely, let me, let me like contextualize that. Nobody knows how to live your life better than you. That, that should be your, that should be your primary focus is like, what is my life supposed to look like? You know, what is important to me? How do I want to spend my time on earth? You know, how do I want to serve my fellow man? What are my life values, right? That that's up to you. Other people can tell you how to do things. They can help you with implementation. They can help you strategize. They can help you gain knowledge that you don't have. Um, but that is, that's a tricky thing, right? And I think that chiropractic school makes it very difficult to develop that life philosophy just because you got so many demands placed on you, right? And so yeah. I think the cool thing about the first few years of practice, and I've seen a lot of my friends as associates go through the same process, you know, when they had associate positions and 
they were they had to worry less about meeting their needs. You know, they got to dive deep into some of those things. It's like, all right, what are my chiropractic values? Like I came to this technique or this approach for these reasons, but now that I'm seeing patients and I'm in the flow, like it's a little different than it seemed, you know? And, and so how do we work this out and how do we kind of build out those chiropractic and life values? Because ultimately, you know, we only have so much time to spend and we've only got so many, you know, resources available uh, at our disposal. And, and the foundation that you talked about building is really smart because it kind of sets you up to be in a position to have that, that experience, right? It's like working out those, working out those values and those needs. So the philosophy was the first thing, you know, what is chiropractic? I mean, there's a lot of people go through chiropractic school and never really figure out what chiropractic is about, right? So we, we assume, you know, that that's a given it's, it's not always right. And even at a philosophical vitalistic school, you still have to develop your chiropractic philosophy. So you learn philosophy that led you to technique. How do I express these chiropractic values that I'm learning through philosophy, you know, efficiently and effectively that led you to learn technique. Then from there, getting into practicing life, it's like, how do I meet my needs, right? I've got my basic life needs. I've got these things that, you know, are required of me. How do I use, you know, this technique in this business to meet my needs? And then from there, you're developing yourself all along the way, you know, into the person that you are uh, so that you can, you know, kind of meander into different interests and, and pursuits. But um, it, it's easy to kind of go through that overview pretty quickly, but let's just say you, you're talking about working hard full time in practice for five years. There's a whole lot of day in and day out, you know, that, that gets summed up in that quick little thing. Oh, by the way, I did this by myself for you know, full time for five years. Yeah. It's like, hold on, let's take pause, you know, because that's a significant investment, uh, you know, of your time in your life. Right. Uh, so uh, it's what I love about chiropractic and what's so interesting about chiropractic is, is that the philosophy is a life philosophy, right? And this inside out, you know, idea that we're always talking about, it's not just physiological, you know, it's not just related to the spine and the nervous system. It's, these are life principles that can apply. That's why it's really start. It's really smart to start with philosophy. Uh, I think if, if you can't get clear in your mind, your actions are going to show unclear results. I and mean, it's just that simple, right? And we're in a position, fellas, medicine, physiotherapy, physical therapy, massage, whatever other healthcare provider you, you can kind of think of has a very clear understanding of what they do, right? Um, it, I, I, won't go, I won't go into examples. We can all think of our own. The, uh, for whatever reason, there just needs to be that effort spent in understanding what chiropractic is and what kind of chiropractic is. It, it, for me, right? Like, it, and I've, I've wavered. I have, I'm sorry. I have not wavered. I have been tempted to wa waver over time. Um, maybe I should start doing this. Maybe, you know what? I've got this kind of patient. Um, maybe I should do this. Here's a, here's a really good example. So I, um, my kids play soccer, competitive soccer and the club, right? Uh, the club's like, Hey, Joe, you're a doctor. Like you're a chiropractor. Can you start, you know, taking care of low backs? Can you start taping? Can you start like looking at people's ankles, knees, all that stuff? And I'm like, no, like, yes, but no. Right. Like, I could help guide and like what I think a proper healthcare protocol would be, maybe even get you a doctor or two that might, you know, suit your needs. But like, I'm not the guy. Um, is that a character default? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I know what chiropractic is. I know what the Blair technique serves. And so as far as I'm aware, the Blair technique doesn't offer analysis on like the knees and ankles. And so therefore you know, give it to this guy who's probably well better suited for the, for the role than me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it, you know, temptation versus opportunity, you know, because depending on, 
you know, again, depending on your chiropractic values for, for a lot of folks, that's an easy, you know, that's an easy left turn, right? It's like, yeah, for sure. Opportunity I'm there. Uh, but what do you lose? You know, what do you lose in the process and and how does that upset the path that you're on and the work that you've, uh, the groundwork that you've laid and, and the momentum that you've gathered in a certain direction? You know, I think that's a really important thing to consider, you know, when opportunities come along, because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like with patients, right? It's like, as we're talking with patients about their care and we're helping them navigate the ups and downs of healing and we're helping them understand these concepts related to upper cervical care and how the health of the nervous system is important and how holding is healing and how we don't want to have to adjust you all the time and why yeah. we're doing things in the way that we're doing. You know, it's all about bringing clarity. It's all about bringing clarity and refocusing on certain key principles. Uh, and that's the same type of conversation that you're talking about, which is in, in the early years of practice too, it's really easy to find what we feel like is an easy way out or a, another area where, oh, this is going to solve my problems. I'm just going to go do that. Right. Um, yep. But bring it back to those principles, you know, continue with the, the basics, the, you know, and, and anytime you talk about technique, for example, you talk to guys that have been doing it for a long time. Well, Dr. Forrest always keep it simple, stick to the basics, master those things, yep. you know, stick to the key principles. Uh, so I think those are, those are really, really wise words and lessons but I think a lot of folks struggle with understanding what those things to focus on, you know, can really be. Um, so I, I think we've, we've talked, talked about a lot of them. Go ahead. Sorry. One key fact, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Um, so we talked about foundation. We talked about understanding, like, you know, solidifying the technique and then getting into business and applying that. Um, the actual secret sauce to everything. Uh, and John, you could, you could probably appreciate this is, is my wife, like my significant other, my family support. Um, we, we had to get in line together early on. Mm -hmm. These are my life goals. These are her life goals. These are what we want to accomplish together. And so the, when I said I had no social life, we had no social life for four or five years, right? It was just me and her on the grind, Abby on the grind. Um, when we talk about like building foundation, I was not the only one laying rock, right? Yeah. He was paving it with me. And so like, please keep that in mind, whether you have a significant other, you're a married couple or what have you, you've got your, your team, your, your personal family, uh, your immediate, your, your immediate circle has to fall in line with, with building that foundation. Ideally you do it together. Man, hundred percent. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, it, it is true. And just because you're grinding together doesn't mean there's always, it's always up, right? There's, there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs and, and having that support system and that home base, you know, and having that, uh, whatever that support system looks like to you, you know, having that is, is essential, you know, in my opinion, it's essential to continuing with the grind. Right. And we know a lot of people don't, not because they're not great chiropractors, not because they can't figure out business, not because it's so complicated that it's beyond them. Right. But I think that support piece is huge and, uh, something that, we've talked about before on the podcast, every so often someone brings that up and they're like, Hey, by the way, like, it's not all about me here. I've had, you know, a tremendous amount of support from my significant other, my spouse, they're about it. They love chiropractic. They support chiropractic. Um, you know, they're hundred percent, you know, behind me. I know that it gives me confidence to pursue my goals. It gives me the security to pursue my goals and dreams. And that's irreplaceable, frankly. And, and, uh, you know, it's, Again, you'll see examples of people that have kind of gone on their own and, and flown solo and, and have had a high level of success there. But my experience is very close to yours, you know, which is that has been an invaluable part of the process. And I wouldn't have started practice if it wasn't for my wife. I mean, she was the one that encouraged me 
that, you know, like, like we're talking about self-awareness. She's like, you're going to go take some associate job that you hate and you're going to be burned (laughs) out. And what are you going to do? Make a little bit of money. And then in two years, just start a practice anyway. Yeah. You know, just go do it. It, It's, and she saw in me things that I didn't see in myself, you know, and and a lot of times that's very important. uh, You know, it's a very important thing to have in your corner. Mm -hmm. So shout outs to all the, all the support systems, the husbands, the wives, the spouses, the girlfriends, boyfriends, whoever, you know, yeah. moms, the dads, the uncles, and everybody that is, you know, in your corner and behind you, it's, we, we need to take a moment to acknowledge and, and thank them for their love and support, because it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely, a, it's irreplaceable with other things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And, and for folks that are, you know, I, I, you know, you did this, and I have friends like this, too, is like, right after, after school is like, boom, start a family, boom, run a practice, boom, do all this stuff. And it's like, you know, the intensity of all these good things happening at one time uh, can be a lot. So, uh, you know, I appreciate that you have the hindsight now to, to be able to observe, you know, the the key things that got you through and, and help you build that foundation and, and to share those with others. Because there are a lot of people that uh, they like people to sink or swim, right? It's like, hey, jump in the deep end, figure it out. You know, I could tell you, but like, you know, it's, it's better for you to do it on your own. I, I'm very interested in people that are like open to sharing their principles and their, their, their big lessons. And they're not trying to tell people how to do, but they can reflect on their circumstances and say, Hey, for me, these were the things looking back that were actually very important, you know, focus on these things for you. And that's going to put you in a position to be successful. Yeah. And I think we got a lot of that today in this conversation. And, and I really appreciate that because I'm, I think chiropractic is about empowerment. I mean, that's at its heart, what I think is, is so unique about chiropractic compared to other healthcare disciplines. You know, we're about empowering our patients. And so I want to empower folks with this information, you know, to be autonomous, right. And to, and to live a life that, that you love and that you, you know, see as fulfilling. And it doesn't always have to be multiple clinics and multiple docs and a gigantic practice, you know, where people are, you know, dropping their pill bottles on the front desk, you know, or whatever it can be. I, I'm going to reference Dr. Uh, Namira's episode a few back. Go listen to that. I mean, I, you know what? She's such a strong woman. I really appreciated her perspective. She goes, listen, guys, you're not going to see me at a conference for 10 years. My family's my priority right now. I'm not doing any of it. Right. She's super dialed in with what is most important to her. And she's built a micro practice, you know, that really suits that. It's awesome. You know, I love that. So go back and listen to her, her perspective, go back and listen to Chris Wolf, you know, talking with him about, you know, he, well, he reminded us is, hey, guys, like chiropractic practice is a business. Treat it like a business. Develop yourself as a business person. You know, think like a business person. You know, talk with other business people. Like work on that muscle, right? And, and, and just because we're all about passion and purpose and service in chiropractic, don't forget that you've got this business to develop. Uh, so go back and listen to that episode. You know, go back and listen to the technique-focused episodes. I mean, talk with you know, Dr. Elder about taking over the Blair Clinic and, and just the years of dedication to technique and the nuances of technique and developing those minute little skills and try and get your patients to hold that much longer, try and get that much better of an adjustment, you know, and all these different things. Like what I love about the Blair community is we bring a lot of different people with strengths to the table. You know, I hope that the the podcast here is a platform to just push all those, you know, all those perspectives and strengths out there so that, you know, as folks are navigating these decisions, what do I do next? You know, whether you're in school, about to take a step into practice, whether you're an associate and you're about to take a step into starting a practice, whether you're toward the tail end of your career and you're thinking, 
I got these other interests that I want to pursue. Or you're about to take a step in that direction. You know, we want to leave leave folks breadcrumbs. You know, they're going to help them be successful in in the different interests and you know ways that you can enjoy chiropractic as a career. Uh, so appreciate all that you had to offer with that. Yeah. Um, any thoughts? You know, as we start to round uh, wind the conversation down, any other words of encouragement or things that you want to touch on? John, I got to say one. Thanks again for having me on the podcast. The you talk about breadcrumbs. I appreciate you creating the bowl for people to place their breadcrumbs in hmm. and be and others be able to feed out of. I mean, if, um, the platform that you're creating, the, and on you know on behalf of the Blair Society, like thanks because the Blair Society, as I mentioned in the beginning, attracted me most because of the personalities it involves, right? And we have so many different talents within society, John, yours especially, because you can interview, extract nuggets, gems, right, breadcrumbs that people are like, oh, I got it, right? Thanks. Like that just saved me six months of time, right? And so I appreciate you consistently doing that. This, this is no small feat, right? I mean, yeah, we're on video. Yeah, we're kind of chatting because we're friends, but there is an evolvement of the curriculum that you're trying to curate behind the scenes, John. I appreciate you doing that the message I wanted to relay was, you know, keep showing up, right? Mm. You're interested in podcasts, listen to podcasts. If you're interested into like live coaching, go find a coach that kind of suits your needs and desires. Go do that, but continue to show up so that your time over the adjusting table and then inside the boardroom is a lot easier to divulge. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's good stuff. I think, uh, I think that's a, a perfect way to, to wrap up, you know, because in the evolution of life and practice, that's step one, show up, you know, and encounter all the different things and all the different experiences and perspectives and, and keep showing up and keep contributing. I think that uh, if, if people that figure out early on, and this is, goes back to the tithing thing, people that figure out early on that, like, let me just kind of throw my hat in the ring. Right. Yeah. And the way I got involved with this, with this Blair society stuff was like, I was, I had more time than patience. And Tracy needed some help writing blogs. I'm like, I can do that, you know? And so I just started writing a blog a month, right? And just like little little things like that. And it gets you in, right? It gets you, it makes you feel like you're part of the crew. And uh, all that stuff is super important. And I think, you know, I appreciate your perspective from the outside looking in at the podcast. Because what I don't want people to think is this is like the John Stenberg show. And I'm here to try to tell everybody how smart I am and how awesome Blair is and all that. It's not that. I see my role as exactly what you described as like, I'm here to be a connector of people with information. My goal is to extract the best, you know, uh, out of each guest that I can and just put it out there for folks to consider and do with it what they may. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. I've derived a lot of value of it. If others are getting something out of it, too, that's even better yet. And uh, Joe, I appreciate your time. Thanks, man. See you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.